Hi everybody, welcome to my third mini-sode of In the Aisle. I am your host, Christina, and I am so glad that you're joining me here today. For those of you who may be joining me for the first time, welcome, and I am so happy that you're here. Just a reminder for all of you and how these mini-sodes work, they are always going to be a direct companion to the episode before it. So this one, of course, is a direct companion to the third episode, and um, you can expect to get things that I talked about in the first episode, but in more detail, as well as new developments and things that I I was not able to fit in the first time around that are worth knowing. I'll briefly just go over like what you can expect in this episode. So of course, like I mentioned at the end of my, my full episode, I will be touching on more impeachment stuff. Of course, a few more updates on that. Marjorie Taylor Greene. I am. I can't even tell you how excited I am to just to launch into full detail, just like everything that's happened with her. Because again, so much is there with that. Additionally, I am going to touch on updates with the Capitol building briefly, as well as the risk that I was talking about that's involved with the stimulus check. There's also going to be a surprise or two thrown in here, so you're going to have to listen to the full episode to get more details on that, but that's what you can expect in this week's episode. I've decided that I, like I said in my last mini-sode, that I'm going to keep up with just giving, like, a f- before I launch into things, a fun fact about myself just so you can get to know me. I am in the fun fact, like, headspace because I, I just started a new job, like, a month ago. And that's basically all I've had to do when introducing myself to new people. And for anybody who went to St. A's or still goes to St. A's, knows that icebreakers are huge. So it is a very big part of me. So I've decided to do that again for this week as well. Okay, so the fun fact is actually a very sad fact. Um, I At the end of the last episode, I mentioned that I was just talking, like in recording, but I didn't have the microphone plugged in. And I'm going to completely out myself right now by saying that I got to the point where I recorded over half of that episode without having the microphone plugged in. Like, just picture that. Like, I literally am holding the microphone in my hand and I'm talking and I'm getting so into what I'm saying. And then I go to find out that like to over 20, like maybe let's say 30 minutes worth of audio is useless <laughs> because I did not plug in the microphone to my computer. So I thought I would share my my idiocy with you all because I'm sure some of you will find that funny. Additionally, just a mini fun fact about myself that's more political. I have actually met Joe Biden in person. He has visited my uh, my college many times. And the time that I officially met him was at the end of the Democratic debate that my school hosted, which at the point of this dropping will be pretty much a year ago to the day that that happened. I got to shake his hand, got a picture with him, don't know where that picture is. I'm still searching for it. So I'll also share that I have met Mike Pence. So that was a very different interaction, very (laughs) uncomfortable to say the least. And at some point, I'll share that with you because it's it's something that haunts me in my dreams. And I will say though, he was he was very nice when I when I met him. It wasn't like he was mean or weird or anything to me. It was just a very uncomfortable interaction that I had with him. 
instead of a D at the end of United, it was an S. So it was like United States of America, which I'm sure was just a typo that was overlooked, but it's like, come on. All right, let's start with the impeachment. The few updates that I didn't have for uh, the main episode that I dropped was that basically the Democrats have asked Trump to testify in front of the committee. And naturally, of course, Trump and his team have said, hell no, that's not happening. I mean, at that point, like I looking at that and seeing that, that is probably the smartest thing that Trump and his team have done since the start of this whole process. Because I think if Trump were to testify in front of the Senate, it would it would only hurt him. Even if you ignore everything that he's done, if you just look at him as like a public speaker, he's just not he's just not a very strong public speaker. He just tends to his his points that he makes are just tend to not really connect to one another. So it would take away from what is trying to be done in the Senate if he were to testify. So in in that respect, I believe Trump Trump and his team in their heads they think that they already have a leg up and they've won. The flip side to that is I don't know if you saw this, but I I genuinely I didn't even know what to think of when I when I did see this. They misspelled, if you recall, their arguments are that since one Trump is no longer president, we shouldn't even have an impeachment trial because impeachments are for people who are still in office. And two, he didn't mean to incite the riot. So again, their defenses, like I said in the first episode, are not as strong as what the Democrats have in that 80-page brief. So like they were already fighting an uphill battle, and then they misspelled United States of America on the very first page of that. The very first page, you're telling me that that's, that is what you've probably been looking at since day one, and not a single person caught that? Like, it was just, I think that was just a perfect culmination of, like, Trump's presidency. Just, like, glaring errors that are staring you in the face. That is what has been happening with the impeachment. Again, not a lot has come from Trump. He will not be testifying, even though the impeachment managers have invited him to do so. And you might have heard this. She met with the House Minority Leader, Kevin McCarthy, who... Now that that's out of the way, oh my god, I can't wait for this. Marjorie Taylor Greene. Okay, so what I left out in the first episode was that, like, in regards to, like, the conspiracy theories that she believes in. First and foremost, again, doesn't believe that the Parkland shooting actually happened. She, in an interview, called out one of the survivors. Granted, he was he's still a teenager at this point when she did this. And called him like a trained dog that is basically like parroting anti-gun ad- agenda, basically. She was just saying that he is fake and that this is just a stunt. She also doesn't believe that Sandy Hook happened, thinks that that was fake, doesn't believe a plane went into the Pentagon building on 9-11, which was a new one for me. I hadn't heard that until very recently. And honestly, the list just goes on with this woman. Like, she's just proven to be so unremorseful for her actions. Basically, like, sat her down and, like, had a conversation with her and, like, behind closed doors. And then you just had McCarthy come out afterwards and be like, oh, like, we talked. She says she's sorry for what she said and she sees the error in her ways. Like, are you kidding me? I, don't, I Regardless of, like, who you are and what your party affiliation is, you think that I'm going to believe... <laughs> 
anything that you say about a closed door conversation, and that just goes for all of politics. Like you don't know what is being said behind that closed door. So like I I understand that they had to like throw that out there to like I the Republican Party wants in some ways they don't want to protect her, but in other ways that they, they do. So they had to do something like that. But that was just ridiculous. And my favorite part, though, is she took to Twitter, basically. So if you remember, Mitch McConnell called her a cancer to the Republican Party. I mean, who could forget that? That's iconic. Coming from Mitch saying that, that's iconic. And she basically tweeted back being like, Mitch and Republicans like him are the cancer. Like, she's not the cancer. But, like, these moderates and the ones who, like, basically aren't extreme are the cancer to the party because they're weak. And I just, like, I literally remember I was sitting there, like, watching the news when that happened with my dad. And I literally felt like I was watching, like, a reality TV, like, Smackdown. Like, it was just crazy. Them like, it just was so outrageous that this happened. And, like, that's what she said. So the fact that, again, she's only been in this for one month and she has 23 months to go. Like, I just, I can't imagine what this woman is going to get into down the line. Additionally, you've probably heard too about the vote of stripping her of her committee assignments. At this point, like, I mean, as you know, it happened, right? Like, it's, it was voted on only 11 Republicans from the House sided with the Democrats in stripping her of her committee assignments. Kevin McCarthy, again, basically, like, said that this shouldn't happen. She shouldn't be stripped as repercussions for her actions. But at this point, like, I think that is exactly what needed to happen. For somebody to not even believe what she believes in, like, let's just forget about that for a second, but to act in the way that she has and even like no she was i mean granted she was never violent per se but she it acts in a very aggressive manner and does not back down like that that to me at least is concerning i wouldn't want any member of the house the senate and the government in any capacity to have an attitude or a demeanor like that because you give someone like that power they in my opinion Solely in my opinion, I think they're more likely to abuse it because they are going to act emotionally and not rationally and not be able to rise above when situations get tricky and use their power to get back at whatever situation they're in. So now at this point, she, like, again, is not on any committees, but don't worry, guys. She, she has a plan for herself. Whether or not she recognizes that herself or is that something that her team has put out there for a statement, I can't say. I mean, part of me really feels that she's not remorseful at all for for this, but she is somebody that I'm glad has not let let run wild with like her conspiracy theories. Before I get into that, though, like I said, she's somebody who is really into conspiracy theories, right? Let me quote her directly. She said that after seeing things in the news that didn't make sense to her, she stumbled across QAnon at the end of, like, 2017, basically. And then she became, quote-unquote, very interested in conspiracy theories and then began posting on Facebook about them and talking about them. And 
her mistrust in the government began to really grow. So naturally, of course, doesn't trust the government, ran for office to have a place in said government that she doesn't trust, right? Makes absolute sense. In a weird way, as much as I, I don't mean to rag on her too much, but I, I at the same time, like I said in the first episode, like it's so easy again to get wrapped up into conspiracy theories, especially in terms of like with QAnon, there is such like a large group of people that do believe in the same thing she does. And the only ounce of remorse that I found for her was that she does recognize that she probably should have done like more research on these conspiracy theories instead of taking them at face value, which I don't know if I totally believe that. Just because I this might be surprising to you, or maybe it's not, but over 52% of Americans that were like a poll that was done with 538 said that they agree with her on like her opinions and beliefs. So there are, again, a lot of people out there that are like Marjorie, who, for whatever reason, refuse to believe things like the Parkland high school shooting and Sandy Hook and the plane flying into the Pentagon and things like that. So, of course, I hope you enjoyed that. That was more on a lighter note. The next thing I'm going to be talking about is the domestic terrorist attack on the Capitol, which is a little bit more serious. Um, as I mentioned in my episode, it is proving that this was an inside planned thing that was going to happen. Now, again, we are still learning details. Things are still emerging. However, it is very clear from like what we've heard from representatives and senators who were there that day, like how it went down and like what happened that this was something again that was planned. People in Capitol building definitely knew about it. And I'm going to go into that a little bit. Okay. So as you may recall in the episode, I said that some people who were rioting on the day of the Capitol at the Capitol building are now beginning to be put on trial. In terms of updates for that, I don't really have many. What I'm planning on talking today is just more details that we have heard about what is what happened that day, specifically from AOC herself. Now, this is something that has been very polarizing because you have the Democrats who believe what she's saying and are taking her words like at face value. And then you have Republicans who are saying that she's exaggerating it, that she's blowing it out of proportion, that it wasn't a big deal. In my opinion, I don't know. I th- like I've I don't know if you saw this, but she posted it basically her account of what happened on it, her Instagram stories, like an Instagram live thing where she goes into detail. And after watching that, I just I just don't see you could just feel through this like the screen and like what she was saying. It was just so much emotion charged behind it. I highly doubt that she was lying about what she was talking about. Basically, if you haven't seen it. The key things that she said was there were points that she literally thought that she was going to lose her life and that she was certain and it has been confirmed that there was plans to assassinate many members of our government that day. And I think it was very brave of her to talk about because like she was targeted that day. They, as she said at one point she was hiding behind a door while she heard people outside screaming, where is she? As in like looking for her. 
to like do something to her, get to her. And um, she also, I don't believe it was in the Instagram live. I can't quite remember, but I know she also said that there were people who were giving instructions on how to find the members of Congress when they went into hiding. Like things that these rioters that like shouldn't have known, like only high level people know, including members of Congress in terms of like where they go and hide, how they, how to get there. And it is very high likelihood that members of Congress were the ones giving out that information. Additionally, outside of AOC, there were other people in the Democratic Party who basically at one point were pretending to be Republican. That sounds terrible to say because they were so scared for their life and they were worried that they were going to be targeted for being Democrats. And God, I mean, it, this is so hard too because there are so many things that are going on in the news that this has been pushed aside. But I think it's just being downplayed how bad that situation was that day. Like, I think for, for people who understand how the government works and who really love politics, like, I think people like us really felt that, like, in how scary that was to watch. And you're just like, oh, my God, what is happening? But I think for, for other people who may not be that interested in politics and government and may not necessarily see the Capitol building as, like, a symbol of democracy, like, in their heads, it's already, it, it happened, it's in the past, it was like a weird instance, and it wasn't a big deal. But the truth is, it, it is it is a huge deal. And as more time goes, I'm sure we're going to get more information coming out. I really wouldn't be surprised if names are now beginning to be dropped in terms of who helped out. And I wouldn't doubt if it, it our member would be members of Congress who helped out that day and getting those writers in, giving them information on where to find people and things like that. The last thing I'll say on this is if there still is any doubt from you that what AOC said was not true, just to remember she was so freaked out after the fact that she didn't go to Biden's inauguration. Now, she is probably somebody, I mean, she's had, she's gone back and forth with Trump many times, like on Twitter. They don't like each other. She's probably one of his biggest, um, not a, not one of his biggest supporters, right? And for her, like seeing him voted out of office would have been an amazing thing. And she, I doubt that she would have wanted to miss that for anything. But the fact that she genuinely like was so scared to go to the inauguration that she just, she just didn't. So um, she wasn't even there to see, of course, Biden get sworn in, I think speaks volumes. And the reason for that is she said that she just doesn't feel safe around other members of Congress that, again, is very likely that they had a hand in this insurrection. So I will, there are probably going to be updates on that down the line, but that is where we are right now with that. And Again, that is something that we all need to still be keeping at the forefront of our mind, even with everything going on, um, because of how intense it was and just about how, I, I just think we're on the tip of the iceberg to learn about learning how bad that day really could have been if um, people didn't act quickly and you didn't have like security guards, of course, keeping members of Congress safe. 
Now that you know that, let's get into detail about the risk involving the stimulus check. Let me tell you, I had this all recorded out and it just made my episode so long, like with it in. And I was like, I don't like cutting out half of this for the sake of time. So I was like, you know what? I'd rather just move it to the mini so That's what the mini sods are for. And I am very excited to talk about this right now. So in terms of risk, like I said, it isn't that too much is being spent, though it might feel like that with like the $618 billion that the Republicans want and the astronomical $1.9 trillion that the Democrats want. It's that not enough is going to be spent. So basically, what the Republicans want in this case is to maximize the money that's being spent. They want to put in the least amount of money possible to get everything that they think needs to get done and to obviously like maximize, of course, like the positive outcomes from that. And I mean, thinking if you look at it that way, you're like, well, yeah, of course, I would love to make sure that like my tax dollars aren't going to be wasted if there's a way to do it in a cheaply and efficiently, like, yeah, let's go for that. However, that is that is not something that's guaranteed, right? Like it's it's very easy to look at it like six six hundred and eighteen billion and just think, oh, that should be plenty. But I mean the truth is like thing if you want to get things done, you need money. And to me, I don't think that's going to be enough. In terms of right here, right now, if you just looked at the country like in a snapshot, I think, I mean, it makes sense. Like it would just be basically like a band-aid that you'd be putting on the problem. And I mean, of course, the problem underneath could heal or it can get infected, right? And it can get worse. And I think that's honestly what we're looking at now with the pandemic. So in this instance, I think the Republicans need to be willing to raise that budget mount and go closer to the $1.9 trillion. I'm not saying they have to go all the way, but I think that they need to get closer because I, at this point, right, if you put in, if you invest $618 billion, again, that's like five Jeff Bezos or whatever I said in the first episode, and it's not enough, then you're just going to be spending even more money down the line to now fix the things you couldn't before, keep those problems that you put a band-aid on, like, stable, and then address new things that are likely to come up. So you're more likely to just spend more money. I mean, granted, the $1.9 trillion is a lot, but there's so much of that does, and it, there's a lot of preventative things within that that could save money down the line. It's just very hard, I know, like to think of it as that could potentially be saving money. And it also, there's potential that it couldn't save money. That That's where another piece of risk comes in. Like, what if it's, what if we're spending money on something we don't really need to be at this point? So that is something that needs to be obviously taken into account, which I'm sure the members of Congress right now are doing as well as President Biden. The one thing, though, that I need to remind you all of, not that, honestly, not even that you need it, but like we are in a pandemic right now. And to sidetrack for a second, I've gotten obsessed with the um, trend on like TikTok or like, or the internet, whatever you want to call it, of like using words that start with the letter P to describe pandemic, but not actually pandemic. So like, 
we're living in a panorama right now or like we're living in a personification, like something like that. Um, I won't be using that going forward. I just every time I say pandemic, I think of other P words that could potentially go in. So I digress. But again, we're living in a pandemic like these, as I've been saying, are unprecedented times. So in a circumstance like this, I think you need to be able, need to be more flexible in how much money you're dishing out to to help fix this. Because we have the last time there was a, a something this big was over a hundred years ago with the Spanish influenza. Like we have nothing recent to really base off of like, oh, this is how much money we should be putting towards vaccine rollouts and this is how much money we should be putting towards testing and like things like that. We have nothing to base it on. So in this case, I think there really needs to be, again, more flexibility with just how much you're willing to spend for this. Also, too, we've been in this now for almost a year. Like, if it means that we have to spend a little bit more money, you know, this is just me, and you, you're fully welcome to disagree with this. But if we have to spend a little bit more money in order for this pandemic to end a little bit sooner, for getting people vaccinated and having the herd effect take place and having this stupid, dumb disease die, I'm okay with that. Like, I think if it means that the quality of our lives will improve quickly, more, or I should say sooner than waiting and spending just a little bit at a time, I'm, I'm here for that. And I, I hope that you are too, because I don't know about you, but I, I am so sick of this, this pandemic. So that really is like an overview of like the risk I was talking about. Again, there are so many avenues within that where, again, you could be spending too much, you could be spending too little, or you can make cuts in certain areas like testing and then find out later that you need to be spending more money on testing and things like that. So I predict that the Republicans and the Democrats and President Biden, of course, are taking that all into account. I mean, if they're not, that's concerning, first of all. And secondly, then they should have the smart people surrounding them who are <laughs> informed and know about policy and how basically society has to run, if that makes sense, um, having them advise them on what they need to do. But at this point, like I said, we're in unprecedented times. We've been in this for almost a year now. I think it's time to really just, you need, we need to start stepping it up. And if that means spending more money than the Republicans want, I think the Republicans might need to recognize that. And also the Democrats need to recognize that they might need to come down a little bit from that $1.9 trillion. They are working on a plan to forgive up to 50. Okay, so I've officially gone over everything I was planning on talking about with, of course, the deeper dive in this mini-sode. Now let's move on to the surprises. So I have to say, I probably shouldn't have hyped this up so much because it's, you might not, really might not even be a surprise to you. But for me, it's something that I've been dying, let me tell you, dying to talk about. And I'm so glad it's finally officially in the news headlines in this administration I can start talking about. Student loan forgiveness. And where the surprise comes in is that I have probably spent, since I enrolled in student loans when I was 17, 
a lot of my time researching the potential for student loan forgiveness. So it's probably one of the areas I am the most knowledgeable in. And now I finally get to talk about it because Chuck Schumer announced that $1,000 of federal loans per person. That is even more than I thought we would ever see because I think they were really Biden was talking about 10,000 and now they're saying up to 50,000 which of course I'm sure will be based like kind of like how the FAFSA is where they look at like your whole like financial situation and they'll give you money for college based on that. I'm sure the forgiveness will also be based on something similar to that. But I can't wait to talk about this down the line cuz like I said I have knowledge on knowledge about this that I'm so excited to talk about. Additionally, I can proudly say that I have done my first interview and I'm in the process of editing that. Since you have made it to this point, I'm going to reward you by telling you that the person in question, her name is Hannah Smith, and she is somebody who's living in DC right now as a digital strategist for Democratic candidates and campaigns. She is somebody who I've known for a few years now and just always like basically inspires me. She's just a really cool person who is so knowledgeable and so smart. And I really can't wait for you to hear the conversation that we had, especially surrounding Black History Month. I think it was it was so insightful for me to listen to what she had to say and was really fun, honestly, to, to catch up with her and to talk a little bit about what she does and where she sees this country at at the moment. And I've decided to include the first minute or so of the interview I had with Hannah, just so you can hear a little bit from her about what she does as a digital strategist. So enjoy. So my first ever guest on In the Aisle is Hannah Smith. And we actually met at a women's leadership conference hosted at my school a few years ago. And I can't wait for her to introduce herself to you. So Hannah, whenever you're ready, take it away. Thank you. Um, first and foremost, let me start off. I'm so excited and I'm very very proud of you I um, I love seeing people pursue their passion projects and I think you're already getting this show off on such a great foot and I'm excited to see where it goes um, as you said my name is Hannah Smith and I live in Washington DC my background is in political organizing and now I work for a digital media firm based out of the Midwest with offices um, in a couple of different cities around the country including DC we work with Democratic candidates for office and progressive issue campaigns and nonprofits. I draft content for our clients, and my client list currently includes a municipal race and a couple of um, congressional candidates. So that's just a sampling of who I am, and I'm excited to get into the conversation. Awesome. Well, first of all, Hannah, you literally have me blushing. That is so sweet <laughs> for me to say. Like, I love it. I'm here for the hype. Thank you so much. Always. Um, I hope that got you excited to hear more of what Hannah has to say from her job and, of course, just like her expertise overall. You can expect that interview either in this coming week's episode or the following week. And I haven't decided quite yet just because of all the audio issues I ran into with um, this past week's episode. I don't want anything to happen, of course, with the beautiful interview that she gave me and the conversation that she had with me. So I'm going to spend my time editing that and making sure that it sounds amazing so that you all can enjoy it the same way I did when I had it with her live over the phone. We are officially at another end of a mini-sode within the aisle. 
what you can expect, of course, next week again, the potential of that interview. Um, I'm not going to say any more of that to keep that keep you on your toes and be looking out for that. Additionally, of course, again, the impeachment, boo, I can't, again, can't wait to be done talking about that because I think we all kind of know how it's going to go at this point. And I'm really hoping, again, for an update on the loan forgiveness stuff. That obviously might take a, oh, it's not might, it definitely is going to have to take a backseat to the impeachment, but Again, something really exciting to talk about. And you know, for a fact, I'm going to be looking out to see if Marjorie Taylor Greene has anything else surrounding her because she she's just interesting. I'll leave it at that. She's just a very interesting person who has plenty of material that she has given me for this episode and the one before this. I hope you all enjoyed this mini-sode and got a little bit more information on everything that I touched on today. As always, feel free to share with friends. Follow me on Instagram at In the Isle Podcast and DM me too if you have any questions for me or if you want to see a topic addressed that I didn't bring up in um, the episodes that I've talked about so far. I hope you all have a wonderful week and until next time, I'll see you in the aisle. Have a great week, everybody.